Welcome to Movie Geek and Proud. This is Movie Club. Rule number one, always talk about Movie Club. Rule number two, tell your friends about Movie Club. Rule number three, have fun and don't be a hater. Rule number four, there will be spoilers. You've been warned. That lovely conversation you have after you and your movie buddies watch a film together, let's start that conversation. Welcome back, everyone, to Movie Geek and Proud. I am your host, Rob. I am here with the fellas, Nick and Sean. They're back to review another superhero movie that I know nothing about. So they are here to fill in the gaps for me. Nick, how are you doing? Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I am good. It is good to see your face and hear Sean's voice. I have not seen this gentleman in over a year. I haven't spoke to him in a while. I'm glad you're still alive and got through this year. So uh, that's good. Sean, welcome back. Thank you, Rob. And what I didn't know I needed in 2021 is to hear Nick's deep, baritone, sexy man's voice. So I'm here for it. I have been getting letters. They're like, where is Nick's very white voice? I need him back on the show. I've also been getting those letters, but rest assured, I am getting your fan mail. Thank you. I have wasted so many stamps in sending those to you, Nick. I'm so sorry. Well, you know, you, you bring up a point, Sean, because we would have actually been together earlier than this had Black Widow come out. And all the other, you know, superhero s stuff that we were expecting over the last year. So let's get right into uh, this topic of where Wonder Woman was was debuted, which is on HBO Max, and it decided to simultaneously be released in theaters as well as for HBO Max subscribers. Does everyone here have an HBO Max subs- subscription? Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes. And yeah. did you get it specifically for Wonder Woman? No. No. <laughs> Very uh, good. I kind of got mine for free because my mom has HBO on her charters. Yes, to the parents. Yes, I am also <laughs> I am fan with my own family, but my mom, uh... I, I stole her HBO, so. <laughs> That's how I did it. I made sure I had this when Lovecraft Country came out. And then after that, The Witches was released and I was just set. So it came at a really good time. It wasn't even available on Roku up until a few days before Wonder Woman came out. So I have been hooking up my uh, computer to my TV to do all of that viewing right. before HBO Max. And it they just they made sure to get an app out right before Wonder Woman. So I'm yeah. glad they did. So, Nick, what is your take on this whole deal with all of Warner Brother big titles going straight to HBO Max? Well, obviously, it's really hard to say when movie theaters will be open. Full disclosure, I was on the East Coast for the last month. I'm back in L.A. now, but I did see Wonder Woman 1984 in theaters. uh, And now I'm back to a place that's completely locked down where there are no movie theaters. And 60-something percent of the movie theaters across the country are closed. So this whole thing is sort of, what do you do? Um, obviously as film fans, I think we'd all like to see everything in the movie theater, but 
you know, who knows what's going to happen. The big problem with this whole scenario is that I guess they didn't tell any of the filmmakers or any people involved and everybody found out by a deadline in Hollywood Reporter, just like any average Joe. So nobody knew that their movies were going to be streaming and simultaneously in whatever open theaters were available across the country. Oh, wow. So... Do you think that these directors would have, you know, a different say on this and demand that it be on hold or just release in theaters and go for broke? I mean, that's a good question. I know they did a lot of in-depth stuff with, well, everybody has come out and basically said, this is a horrible idea. So everybody obviously works hard on these movies and someone like Denny Villeneuve's doing Dune wants that on the biggest screen possible. No matter how good your TV is, and I have a very good TV and sound system and all that stuff. But damn it, I want to see Dune on an IMAX screen, you know. <laughs> but the longer these movies sit on shelves, and some of these movies have been sitting on shelves for quite a while, they incur interest, right? I mean, these films, like, there's, these studios don't just have liquid cash that they're pouring into these. You know, there's backers that you have to pay back. There's sub-companies and production companies that have to get their money back. And even though there's a pandemic, it's not like they're, everyone's just putting a hold on it, you know, the same way that you know, landlords aren't putting a hold on rent, whether your business is open or not, you know, or if you're working or not. So these films are incurring interest and they have to try to get back what they can as soon as possible. I guess you could still try to hold off for a few more months, maybe put all of your big tent poles as you usually would starting in May and later throughout the year. And I guess it's okay for Tom and Jerry to be released in February and on HBO Max because that wasn't going to be a billion dollar movie. So it's a difficult thing. You know, I I hope this doesn't become the norm. I know for the average person that's not really a huge movie buff, this doesn't seem like a big deal. But, you know, there's no way to make a billion dollars off of uh, HBO Max. You know what I mean? Like Dune might make a billion dollars, might make $800 million. It might flop, who knows, but it's not going to be as profitable as it would have been under normal circumstances. And that goes for a lot of these bigger films. You know, some of the smaller films, you might be okay. But, you know, no matter what, this isn't the the cure-all for the situation. So I think we'll continue to see how it goes. And Warner Brothers has said that this is currently only for 2021, but we'll see. Because, I mean, if it does work for them, when's the last time you saw exhibition change temporarily? succeed and then go back to the way things were you know what yeah. I mean? so we'll see but uh i'll watch tom and jerry on hbo max <laughs> unless theaters are open if theaters open back in la i will use my a-list you're going and i'll go down to the amc burbank and i'll watch tom and jerry so why not? sean what's your take on this decision to put all of these big titles and we're expecting a lot of good ones in 2021 Oh yeah, I'm I'm really excited for it and I was just talking to Chris about this. Like of course I'd rather see Black Widow, you know, on a big screen, but at this point it kind of feels like Thanos snapped and like the world stopped for all of us. And I think if more companies I I mean I don't know how hard it would be with movie studios and deals and everything, but for example, if AMC was like, hey, Sean, we're going to keep charging your $24 a month for A-list and you're going to have access to movies we're still putting out in theaters like Black Widow, I would still pay for that service to watch it at home since, like Nick said, I don't even have an option to go to a theater. Like when New Mutants came out, just as an example, it's X-Men. I'm an X-Men fan. 
I drove to San Diego <laughs> to see New Mutants because that was the closest theater to me that was open. Like, that's the kind of movie person I am. So I will be there for however you want to show me movies. But these companies need to get smart while we're in lockdown for how can you still charge me and it be a value to both of us and stay in business? Because like AMC is hurting. So they need to get smart quick to do something to bring that cash in. I've gone to see a couple of drive-in films. Uh, I've been lucky enough to be able to do that. So New Mutants was actually one of them. And I'm glad that I got to see that and not pay for the price of it that is on Amazon. And that is the big disadvantage with this decision is the fact that if I didn't have HBO Max and if there's anyone out there who is individually paying for each movie that they like to see, these films are being paid for by one person, whereas big families, I'm sure, are going to love this idea where they can have millions of people in their home and pay a a dividend of said cost of a, a monthly membership or an individual movie. You know, I don't have the cash to be paying 19 bucks for a film every time something gets released. And as far as a subscription goes, you know, it'd be nice to be able to go back to our pay-per-view days and be like, who wants to come over and watch quote unquote, the fight and just have people view this and get a, you know, a little bit of that money back. And so, yeah, uh, an AMC app showing these films would be great. I don't know how that would work with, businesses who also own like hbo max with warner brothers do they want to share any of that type of profit with a third party you know movie theater company you know so i i wish it was that that easy to just be like hey theaters make an app and we'll put movies in your you know but that's the only thing that sucks is that i'm paying for everything solo while others get to pay for stuff like together you know i've I've went to the movie theater since the pandemic five times now. So four times I drove down to Orange County to go see basically like as soon as it opened up, I drove down because I was like, it's only going to stay open for three days. Yeah. So, you know, I went and saw Bill and Ted, which I had also just purchased off of Amazon like a week (laughs) prior to that. But I was like, you know, this movie was made for me. I want to support it. And I now I own the Blu-ray. So I'm the guy that spent like, $100 $100 on Bill and Ted Face the Music. You know, I also drove down to Orange County to go see New Mutants, Tenet, and then I did a 30th anniversary Fandango screening of the original Ninja Turtles, the 1991. And then, of course, when I was in Massachusetts, I saw Wonder Woman. And when I was there, and I'm not trying to like get so into it, but when I was there, I felt so much safer than I have been when I've had to go to like the grocery store or Target or you name it. So I, I don't know, because like gyms are open for the most part <laughs> and yeah. alleys and things like that. So I don't understand restaurants. I mean, not out here now, but other parts of the country. I mean, you can't not you can't implement the no eating rule at a movie theater because that's how the theaters actually make their profits. <laughs> but, you know, if, if it's you're doing like a matinee and it's still like 40, 50 percent capacity, I feel like you could safely be far enough away where, you know, if it's your own risk, but I, I just, I, I feel ready for movie theaters to open up. I don't think it's going to be the huge health hazard that everyone's suspecting it might be. Yeah, I agree. And I think the key that I look for, like when I'm picking my seat, I look at the movie theater and if there's a, 
big clump of people close together, okay, maybe I'm not going to go see that movie or maybe I'm going to get all the way in the back corner. But I totally agree with you, Nick. I felt safe. They had sanitary wipes. Like I only took my mask off to eat or drink and put it back on. Like I did not feel in any danger. Yeah. Y'all out here promoting to get the Rona. Y'all go ahead with your bad selves. I'm, you know, power to you. No, I, I'm a little bit more paranoid than the average person. Yes, I, I'm a huge moviegoer. Movie theaters are my second home. I would love to go back to the theaters. You know, it for me, it's my access to even get to those theaters. You guys are driving to different cities. I don't have that type of resource. So, you know, I kind of have to take it for what it is and and take advantage of how they're being played on TV. And, and you know, it, it's 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 got me to budget and really be selective on which movies to watch. And it sucks, you know, and, and hopefully there will be some kind of solution as far as everything going to HBO max as these bigger movies are concerned. Um, did it have to be Warner brothers? Because man, they, they have so many blockbusters that deserve to be on the screen, but here's the thing when theaters do come back. And if they decide to re-release these in theater, I'm going whether I've seen them or not. So hopefully there are fans out there that will understand that the movie theaters need to be supported and that even if you have seen a title, if you can spare the bucks, go out and see it again or pay for somebody and donate and have them see it in theaters because you already have. Do something to make sure that movie theaters do not go away because I don't want this to be the new normal at all. All right, Rob, but when movie theaters open up again and you're like, Nick, I need a ride at Tom and Jerry. <laughs> you know what's really gonna for me it's mortal Kombat in april i'm just so hurt that i'm not gonna get to see that on the big screen you might because i have a feeling it's gonna be not keep that release date because i mean that's like three months out and there's no promotional material yet i just yeah. have a feeling that'll be pushed to like summertime or something i hope i hope so i really really hope so well we'll do another episode on to solve this crisis but right now we have to get to our movie this month's movie is WW84, Wonder Woman 84. I hope all of you have watched it, but if you have not, we will be giving just a small review of what we thought of the film. We'll rate it for you without any spoilers, and then we will get into spoilers. Diana, your time will come, and everything will be different. ready you'll become a legend wonder woman 1984 all right sean let me know what did you think of wonder woman 84 so overall rob i would say i enjoyed it it very much to me felt like a comic book story that would come out in the 80s like in the way that Wonder Woman was kind of like discreet, like people don't even know if she exists or not, kind of like comics used to be. And it had the humor of an 80s-ish movie. I'd say I didn't like it as much as the first one. And I think in two words, I'd sum it up as kind of a happy mess because I enjoy it, but it's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. And what would you rate this? Um, I I already watched it twice. Like I'd be happy watching it again because it looks so cool. And like, I think it is a fun movie. So I'd probably say about a 3.5. Okay. All right, Nick, what did you think uh, of Wonder Woman? Out of five, right? 
That yeah, is out of five. five. <laughs> I don't know what we're rating. I didn't know if it was like 3.5 out of 20. You know, just <laughs> trying to get on the same scale. My two words to sum it up probably be, be based off of my uh, affection for the first one, which I really enjoyed. I would say monumentally disappointed. Aww. <laughs> and just briefly why. Yeah, you can say why without spoilers. Personally enjoyed about that first film was slowly taken away from me every 15 minutes that this movie was on. <laughs> oh, that's so bad. Okay, and so what would you rate this? I'll say a two out of five. I feel like I'm being generous. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is that is totally fair. I don't hate it. I'm just saying I'm very disappointed in comparison to what I thought I was getting or, hell, I'll even say it, deserved to get based off of my expectations to the prior film. Gotcha. And well, for me, I I actually didn't understand the huge amount of instant hate that this movie got. I didn't think it was as bad as everyone thought it was. I still enjoyed watching it. However, the movie was too long. Yes. Just way too long. I do have some major problems with it, and I actually gave it a 3.5, but I rewatched it because that is part of my criteria. And I'm sorry to say that this movie was so difficult to watch again. I, I could barely get through it. And again, the length of it was a huge thing. The, the other also thing that stood out to me that I think that they kind of missed the mark is that you have a movie set in the 80s and there was not one 80s song throughout the throughout the whole movie where was the soundtrack you could have had your ragnarok and your gardens of the galaxy of dc in this movie and you totally just dismissed that entire aspect of an 80s x-men apocalypse looked like stranger things in comparison to how right (laughs) right i mean the wardrobe and everything was cool but like they really missed the mark on that so it really sucks and so because i had such a hard time watching it again the the score went down i'm bringing it down to a 2.5 but i have a question for you two do you tell somebody to just skip this movie or can you still recommend it to people because that's one of the biggest things that i can't figure out is how do you just tell somebody yeah just skip this one i mean it is a prequel it doesn't necessarily connect i doubt we'll hear about this in future films do you tell people to just skip it or just say watch it why not I always recommend people just watch it because like, for example, my friend Mary's older. She hated it. She's like, I think Pedro Pascal is a terrible actor. I don't know why people like him. She's like, I didn't like the story. And so I would never have guessed that she would dislike it that much. Whereas, you know, myself and my household, we all thought it was good. You know, like I said, it was good. It wasn't great. But like, you never know how somebody's going to feel and you never know. Maybe some of these characters will show up in future DC movies. Okay. Yeah. I always say if you're interested, see it on your own because you never know. I mean, certain movies hit people certain ways. I mean, I have Surf Ninjas on DVD and always (laughs) watch that. So would I recommend it? Mm, No, but if you were like, should I see Surf Ninjas? I'd let you borrow it. Yeah, so I mean, I didn't completely just remove the point for recommendation. I always tell people, look, you saw the first one, you might as well just continue on this thread and just watch the second one, right? This movie was a huge decline from the amazing first one. And that is what's 
most disheartening about this sequel. There you have it, folks. You have heard our instant review. Take what you will. At this very point, we will now be talking about the movie with spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, watch it and then come back and listen to the rest of the episode. Now we can tear this movie apart. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. So where should we begin? What what stood out to you that you liked, disliked? Where, where should we begin? I'd like to start on the major tie-in that nobody realizes here. This movie ties into another movie in a big way. That little girl in the mall, that's Ty when she's a little girl and she's held over the banister and that's why she freaks out and clueless. That's why, Rob, it's Ty. She almost died. <laughs> oh, goodness. I know, just had major flashbacks, right? Right. <laughs> this is why she moved to LA to go to school. She's like, I can't take it over there on the East Coast. <laughs> uh, and she had a crush on Ant-Man. I know. <laughs> oh, so good. The biggest thing that stood out to me or that I was mostly interested in is the villains, of course. For me, I didn't know who Max Lord was going to be just from trailers. They didn't show much, and I enjoyed that. I'm glad we didn't get any kind of like full-on description of this movie as far as plot. I had no idea who Max was, but I knew Cheetah was in it. So I'm like, she's clearly a villain, but where does Max fit in? And then we find out he is also an antagonist in this movie. So what did you think about having this double duty villain sort of thing in there? Was it too much or did they, was it okay to have two villains? They just didn't do them a justice. Like, what are your thoughts on the villains? Uh, I mean, I don't think typically too many characters is the problem if you have them written well. I mean, I don't know. The Godfather has got like 30 characters, you know what I mean? But nobody ever complains about that. It's just, you know, when when your script starts to get mushy, that's when it becomes really noticeable. And I feel like this was, you know, uh, suffering from the amazing Spider-Man 2-isms, <laughs> I guess. You know, with a lot of how their villains are kind of connected and not connected and meet and kind of meet and uh, I don't know what do you want me to say it didn't work <laughs> <laughs> well one thing I'll say now real quick just to get out of the way is um, you mentioned the preview so I already knew a lot about Max from the preview because they showed that scene where he's like standing with the presidential seal behind him with like the air blowing around so I'm like oh he's the president and this whole like thing with him meeting Barbara and I don't, it felt kind of forced the way he's like, I wanted to talk to you. I'm like, how does he know who she is? And then he sees the wishing crystal and they kind of have this, okay, I guess that's a reason for them to meet. But it just seemed very convenient. The reason why they made the decision is because Maxwell is so not a fighting villain. He's more of the, you know, power villain. So they needed somebody to fight with Diana, but... It definitely wasn't as cohesive. And I know that I know this statement's going to, you know, rock the boat for some people, but it wasn't cohesive as the amazing movie Batman Returns with Penguin and Catwoman. <laughs> I mean, that's the foundation, the outline, the blueprint to have a great double villain storyline in, in a film that's just a little over two hours. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. Mm hmm. So I didn't have a problem with either villain. I wish that they had gotten their own movie because the two villains didn't match. They didn't mesh well. It's not like they didn't have chemistry or I wasn't looking for any of that. 
is just that Diana was just put up against somebody who, you know, physically kind of was a match. And then also, you know, psychologically when she was obviously challenged to be the hero that she's destined to be. So it's like, I would have preferred them to just pick one side of it. Do you want her, you know, for the physical or, or the mental and, I get trying to put all of that in because you don't necessarily know where Wonder Woman is going to be in the next film, right? Like, are they going to do another prequel leading to the Justice League or are they done with her backstory? You know, so I didn't have a problem with either. I actually enjoy Pedro Pascal's acting. I I, I think he's a, I think he's an okay actor. I, I found him to be interesting and entertaining. Was he funny or anything? No, I don't think so. He had that cheesy 80s charisma that I think he got locked down. And uh, I had very low expectations for Wig to pull off anything other than being sweet, adorable, and funny. I haven't really seen any of her sort of drama and darker films. So this performance was a complete surprise to me. And I thought she held on well, considering. Right. I, I've seen her in uh, Skeleton Twins with Bill Hader, and I think she's pretty great in that. And I actually was hoping for something eh, a little bit more like that. And the vibe I got from her was like Uma Thurman and Batman and Robin before she becomes <sighs> <laughs> or like Jamie Foxx as Electro before, you know, when he's, I mean, it even kind of opens the same, like he's dropping the blueprints and she's uh, dropping her suitcase and it's got that goofy Hans Zimmer score. I, I, I don't, <laughs> right. I, 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 I don't know if it was because that it was said in the eighties that they decided to go back to this horrible, horrible trope about geeks and, and low self-esteem people and, and just the look and everything. It just made no sense to put it in a movie in 2020. Just that, first of all, glasses are cool. They are in, they are not a sign of dysfunction or an, a, a defect or you are not cool. Like it makes no sense to use that as a way of improvement or evolve or anything. It's, it's ridiculous that they're still using that to tell somebody that they're not worthy of being looked at or asked out or have any friend. Like, it's just ridiculous. And the wardrobe and all of that, like it, it just, they could have done that a little bit better because what the wishing stone did for her was give her fashion sense and improved her eyesight. It didn't do anything else. I mean, that that's basically all she did to herself. Mm -hmm. well, even with the, the Barbara Minerva cheetah character, well, pre cheetah, I mean, there's nothing to indicate, even if she got everything she wished for, why would she be villainous? You know what I mean? Like why, what her motivations never seemed strong enough for her to be able to fight anybody, let alone Wonder Woman. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah, you don't want to give up your wish, but oh, well, are you evil now? I guess so. It, it just doesn't seem like it. I don't know. That's what's so weird about this movie, too, is that both Max Lord and Cheetah had didn't really have evil intentions. They they were selfish, but they both didn't have world domination on their, you know, criteria they just wanted to better their lives for themselves and it ended up screwing everybody else in the process barbara losing her her humanity i you know what it what is diana say you lose the one thing that's most precious and apparently barbara's humanity and joy and glow was pretty much the most valuable thing she had 
But yeah, it, it didn't seem like their reasoning behind their villainy was warranted. But I can definitely understand why somebody like Barbara would not want to give up, not necessarily her powers, but just the feeling of confidence in her. She, she feels she can't do it on her own. And so she's like, I suddenly have everything I've always wanted. I don't want to give that up. Nobody really taught her how to do it herself. So like Diana, she's trying to do it the easy way instead of work for what she wants, which is there already. But they didn't point that out. You know, the screen just faded on her and we don't know where she is. So it sucks we don't know if she even learned her lesson to just be herself. That's my take on it. Yeah. And just to um, circle back to Patty Jenkins, the director, I read two things she said. So one thing you brought up, Rob, is where would the next movie go? She said it would take place after Justice League. So we get a new what happened to Diana after story. No more prequels. Okay. I noticed this when I watched the movie, especially because I had read it before I watched it. But did you guys get a Trump vibe from Max Lord? Yeah. Yeah, she said she based him on Trump. Yeah, I mean, he definitely had a big influence on the world and brought out the worst in them all. So I guess you can say that definitely collides with with the whole Trump thing. The the effects, I think, with the cheetah makeup, what did you guys think of that? Fine. It was mostly in the shadows, I guess, for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen Cats yet, but I would think it's a little bit better than that. I guess more on the believable side. <laughs> it is. I've seen Cats. It is the funniest movie ever. But yeah, she looked better than Cats. And, you know, I don't know too much of Cheetah. So that was a really big pull for me when seeing this movie. And I really wanted to see her get a very formidable foe. Yeah, I just remember her being like, when you think of Wonder Woman, you think of Cheetah. Like, that is the one that she usually goes up against, just like a Batman to a Joker. And the way that they ended her character, I don't know if we'll get to see her again. So she seemed like a one-off, and that's a little sad because we don't have that many female villains to begin with anyway. So it would have been nice for her to kind of stay where she was and just be in the background, especially the fact that they were friends first, which I thought was a nice touch too. So she is ambitious, selfish, and severely neurotic. She develops a passion for archaeology that eventually led her to finance an expedition to find a tribe in Africa, which is said to be protected by a female guardian with the powers of a cheetah. So I'm guessing she gets her powers probably somehow from that guardian. Oh, you know what? That sounds like something that would have been cool in the movie. <laughs> yeah. A better story than what it was. <laughs> right, right. Okay, then we have sort of the lack of action scenes. I didn't feel that this movie got enough action in it, especially in a two hour and a half film. And compared to the first one, of course there was more reason to have action sequences, but I, I feel that that was one thing that was missing. Would it, did you guys think there were enough scenes for the action? Did it live up? I mean, action was fine. What I glaringly noticed the first time was there's about an hour and 10 minutes in between the first and second time you see as Wonder Woman. <laughs> When they're in the Middle East on the road and she's going after the trucks. I mean, that's like that's like an hour, five hour, ten minute difference in the film. So I think that whole entire like scene where they actually traveled there to do all of that could have been like taken out. I, I didn't see the point in any of that 
at all, except to, you know, kind of show more of what Max Lord can do and what he was trying to do with his powers. But all of that didn't make any sense to me at all. Sean, did you like the amount of action that was in it? Um, I thought there could have been more. And just like you said, like, for me, that whole beginning scene with Diana as a little girl, that really didn't do anything to lend to the story. Like, they really quickly mention Asturia, but nothing else really happens there. And you're right, they have a lot of travel scenes that just kind of give us more just talking with Max. Now, wasn't the whole truth thing, like, you can't just cheat, not cheat, but just do it the easy way, you know, and, and not cut corners. Like, you have to do everything sort of truthfully in order to say that you actually won instead of crossing the finish line. I, I mean, that's kind of when I got from it. They did that whole, but I was telling a friend this and, and you guys can let me know if, if you didn't get this vibe, but I think a, a fan favorite of the first one was the Island and the, the warriors and the women that were on there and that beautiful story of how cohesive they were together and Robin Wright and all of that. And so I think, Jenkins wanted to at least be like, we know you guys love this island and the women there. Let's give you a little bit of that before we get into our story. So that that's my take as to why that was in there. But one thing I'll say about that whole thing is I've watched enough MTV's The Challenge to know if you do not hit every check mark, I don't care how early you cross that finish line. If all those check marks aren't marked, you're not winning. And she didn't she forgot one of the check marks right because she skips it her flag wasn't down she didn't hit all of the like the blue marks the checkpoints and so it's like when you forget one you got to go back and they didn't do that so i wouldn't have had her win anyway you know what rob good point i'm taking my score down to 1.5 wow <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean that's kind of what i got from the beginning but i see i see what you're saying sean there was a lot packed into this that could have been said in a couple of words or maybe one or two scenes and it just didn't feel that it needed this long story to feel epic you know yeah like one of the things that i kind of question and i i get it in a general sense but i wanted to know more about like max's wishing power like somebody makes a wish and then he's able to take something from them it just seemed kind of like okay, what's what's the idea there? Because this is an original idea that's not really talked about much. The ultimate flaw of the film, this is the fatal flaw, is the whole wishing stone, the whole him becoming the genie in a bottle unto himself and things like that. So I'm a big fan of, I, I can believe the most out there thing. You know, I can go and live in Middle Earth. I can go live in a galaxy far, far away and totally believe it. But you have to kind of set your rules around it, you know? Like, this film just kind of called for whatever the plot needed it to be at that time. And this whole wishing story is a big part of that. Like, none of these powers and wishes are ever clearly defined. Like, she didn't really wish for Steve Trevor to be back necessarily. I mean, she's probably thinking it, but everybody else seems to have to say kind of what they want and steve suddenly in this body that's not his but no one questions like why or how or what are the ramifications of this other guy losing his life where does he go you know what i mean and everyone wishes for these different things but it seems to not work the same for everybody i don't buy into the reality of it because it seems so pardon the pun but wishy-washy you know like in aladdin you kind of have somebody who's doing it right like the genie is kind of like 
oh, you want this? Okay, here's what you can do. But who's calling the shots in this? You know, I mean, they kind of bring up the monkey's paw, like, be careful what you wish for. But who exactly? So everybody that wished for somebody to come back from the dead, are they all like, am I suddenly not myself now? Does somebody come back in my body? Like, why does he come back in an equally good looking guy body? Like, why doesn't he come back as a 70 year old man or like a, a 15 year old kid or a chicken? Like, I don't know. That's what I kind of refer to it as like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. There's all this stuff, but the end battle, suddenly there's like laser tentacles coming out of the ground. That's eh, a lot of nonsense. <laughs> like clear defined ice powers. Frozen 2 has got a lot of like ethereal, magical fall New England powers flying around the sky. A lot of nonsense. It's the main plot of the film. And that to me is the big fundamental flaw of the storytelling as I don't know, I guess I would call myself an astute viewer and reader of science fiction, fantasy, horror. This thing doesn't really work for me because they, as storytellers, don't lay enough ground rules and force you, the viewer, to try to think of these questions in the middle of watching the story, which is what keeps me from getting into the story. Suddenly, I have to be the screenwriter for you guys. <laughs> well, so the whole monkey's paw thing about, you know, the God of lies, the trickery of it, not getting exactly what it is that you wish for or that it comes with a price. I totally get that part. It's the visuals of all of a sudden Max is suddenly taking something specific from each person in 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 return of granting all of these wishes because he has to be getting something out of it. I know he just doesn't want to work for these people and just grant wishes all day. He has to get some kind of power out of it. They didn't explain even if the God of lies was doing that. All they said was, is that the town that it happened in was destroyed over people's hate, but they didn't physically go into or verbally go into the fact that you wish for something. Now I get something of yours. It's just more of like, you'll get it. You just won't get it the way you think you're going to get it. And so, yeah, the wishing stone was a little weird. And it's also just a weird transition from the first one. You've got this gigantic God with this huge ax coming at you. And then in part two, let's just put a stone in front of your face and have you at that. And it's just like, I didn't expect a stone to be involved. I was really, really perturbed about Steve's story. Like, I was asking all those same questions. Like, does he have a girlfriend? Does he have a boyfriend? Do they know where he is? Like, what's going on? Why is he driving a car through this big battle with bullets shooting at him when it's not his body? But to both of your points, like, being a nerd, knowing these tropes, when I was watching it with my household, I found myself having to explain, oh, he's in you know this new body because be careful what you wish for and i even had to go explain to chris when he was watching it you know because he didn't notice that point either and at a certain point i know we'll get to it later but something had to be explained to me because i feel like things are just shot at you so quick in this movie sometimes that if you blink you don't understand the full scope of what they're trying to bash into your eyes rob you kind of mentioned it before this like the first film and it kind of goes back to what I'm saying about setting your reality, setting the stage for verisimilitude and what we can believe in as an audience. The first film feels very, even at its most flightful, very boots on the ground. You know, it's set during a time that's like a very dark time in, in our history. And you're kind of just in the trenches with these characters for the whole movie. And you just kind of 
get what it feels like to to be in there from her point of view and Steve's point of view and all those ancillary characters that they have around them. And the transition into this one is so jarringly different. And part of me was like, well, clearly they're using 1984 because, I don't know, the era, the Cold War, something political. I thought the film was going to be more political. And I don't quite know why this movie, other than to not set it in the present post-Justice League continuity, I guess, even takes place during another era, especially... I guess everybody on Earth just forgot that one really weird day in 1984 where <laughs> stuff happened and nuclear missiles exploded in the air and everybody heard this mysterious woman's voice talking to them through their TVs and radios. Like, nobody mentions it, <laughs> I guess. And, you know, the point of Man of Steel, I guess, is to be a first contact story. But if you experienced all this and then... You know, there's another guy dressed up like a bat fighting a very colorful rogues gallery in another city. And does Man of Steel really seem that shocking anymore when you get an alien coming? I don't know. It's kind of like, oh, that's par for the course now. (laughs) Did we need Steve Trevor back in this movie? No. (laughs) I... I felt that, like, look, I like Chris Pine, and when I found out that he was back, I was more confused than happy, but I was happy. I did enjoy his character, and I love his chemistry with Gal and their relationship. Clearly, it wasn't going to last. We know this, but at the same time, he may have been a fan favorite once again. Let's find a way to bring him back. But I felt that there, I was, I moved on. From, from him in the first one. I accepted his death. I was not mourning him that much afterwards, and I was okay with him being gone, which is what Diana needed to do. In this whole movie, she needed to figure out a way to let him go because she's been holding on to him forever. Him being back in this movie, I don't think he was the same Steve Trevor for one, like it was kind of cute to watch him adapt to the eighties and be like, Ooh, that's a trash can. It's not art, you know, and him on the escalator was adorable, but he wasn't as funny as I thought as he was in the first one. He, I don't think he was as charismatic either. I didn't feel that he needed to be in here, but man, he was a very righteous character. Like this man put himself in, in harm's way throughout the whole time that he was there. And he was in the fight with her. And I love that about his character. I thought he was great doing that. But other than that, I don't think he needed to be in this movie. And then just this whole thing about him taking over another body is just another topic. Well, get into but did you like chris pine's return in this movie clear winner of things that people like in the first film is the chemistry between them and make no mistake chris pine is the actor of this movie and probably the last one because i i'm mixed on gal Gadot. so that's the reason having them back is like okay well what works the best the first time okay well we want them back to have that chemistry but like you i also moved on and she should have moved on. She knew him for like, I don't know, a week, 60 years ago. I mean, I get it, but <laughs> it just seemed kind of like, really? No one else? He said, no one else? <laughs> I mean, if they had gotten that extra day or two, just like in 84, they would have found out that they have shit in common. Just picking out clothes together was like a hassle. And she's like, clearly I want somebody with a little more style. So... <laughs> They're also supposed to be both smart characters and everyone just kind of makes the wrong decisions. Like no one's questioning kind of why she's back. She should be saying, you're here, this is wrong, but let's figure it out. But instead they, you know, become bedfellows 
in another man's body, I mean, who knows if he's married or has a family or something and just involuntarily cheated on somebody, but whatever. Yeah, I'd say I'm probably a little mixed, just like both of you, just because I understand she needs to have someone to partner with, to like vocalize the story with, and they are cute together. Um, I just don't know that it served the story as much as it could have. Like I could have seen her more partnering up with Barbara and that would have given more Kristen Wiig time and it may have built a better reason for Kristen Wiig to go dark in the end than what they gave us. So I don't know. Um, I, I guess one of the best scenes to me in the movie is when she has to like relinquish her wish and say goodbye to Steve and she jumps into the air and basically like rides the lightning. Like that was a really powerful moment to me. So we wouldn't have had that without Steve, but I don't know if it was worth having Steve just to have that. I'm not going to lie. I really, that scene got me a little bit, just her line of I'll never love again. It's the cheesiest thing, but I seriously felt like Diana meant it when she said it that at that moment, she did not want to lose this man for anyone she was like if there's another way we will find another way and i believed her and i love that steve was so accepting of his death and like i've got to go i don't belong here and of course he's gonna take advantage of the one day that she gets that he gets to be with her but he knew that he was gonna eventually go and this was her way of just saying goodbye maybe she didn't get that type of closure in the first one but i I felt that scene. I, I, I will give the movie that. <laughs> but I want to bring up this very controversial topic that people have been talking about. And they are saying that there is a little bit of non-consensual sex, a.k.a. rape, with the fact that Diana does choose to have sex with this person that is not consciously there. Um, we are not the be all to, you know, label it that way. But what do you think about that type of idea being put onto a movie like this and having it be punished for that? Do you think that these people have a point in what they're saying? I mean, if enough people have noticed it, it's gotta be there, right? <laughs> I mean, but, but I don't, I mean, I, I don't want to just flat out say he, she raped this man, but oh, no. do, I mean, there, there is a, a lot of problematic things that go on with this, but any sort of female driven film, or anything with a lead, you're going to look for ways to dismiss the Me Too thing and anything that women have tried to build up and make a point of throughout all misogynistic like movies. And then the one time that they do something that's very problematic or could be somewhat questioned, they're going to drill that in until they like, haha, you did it too. But I don't know, Sean, do you think there's a level of of truth to this or is it reaching what do you think about this idea of of them two like getting together i definitely think there's a question to be asked here i don't know if i'd ask the question with the word rape in it i think that's Mm -hmm. going a little far only because there is a conscious decision by steve but i know the question is it's not his body so she it was consensual but how do we ask the question if you're not present in the body, should somebody be able to use that body? And it's definitely not a question I like to ask. And it's one that I wish I didn't have to. I wish they just found some other way to do this. Like, it's just, 
it's a weird thing. Like I brought up when I was first watching it, like I saw this done in Ultimate X-Men where there was a woman in her deathbed, all consciousness was already gone. Like she was, you know, a potato and Psylocke gets killed and her consciousness wakes up in that person's body. I'd almost rather have that because at least we know like, okay, this person, the body gets another chance at life before it's gone. But putting it in a conscious person who's just living their life, it's just weird. Like, why even write that in? And did nobody point that out? Like, this is a weird topic. (laughs) Well, let me ask you guys if you noticed this. I'm a big film score guy, and Hans Zimmer did the score for this film. And there's two pieces of music that are his pieces of music but are from other movies. (laughs) Did you notice that? No, I didn't. So when she's first learning how to, when, when she finally kind of learns how to fly, piece called In Time, for some reason I thought it was from Inception, but it's not, but it's used in a lot of trailers as well. Like they use it in the teaser trailer for Days of Future Past and among many other things. And I was like, oh, that's jarring if you know this music. <laughs> and I was like, why don't you just write an original piece? But I guess he's really in love with his own work from somewhere else. The other one, which was I guess makes more sense because it's from the same franchise, but just feels so, wait a minute, but that's for this movie, is when she's uh, got Maxwell Lord tied around the rope and stuff and talking to everybody, that's the opening theme from Batman versus Superman. <laughs> oh. I, I had a friend tell me that exact same thing, and I, I, you know, I only saw BVS once, so I wouldn't have picked up on that. But even in Batman versus man it's used throughout the film numerous times and you know comes up again during the whole like mother Ma- martha argument scene and everything like that and it's just kind of like well i get it but it's kind of strange <laughs> yeah. no i didn't notice that did you notice that sean i did not i i don't pay attention to music as much as i probably should <laughs> <laughs> but i'm glad hans zimmer did the score i mean he always does some great work so yeah it, it Sounded nice for what it was. I just wanted more 80s music. When they were doing that chase scene in the desert, I was so pissed off at these kids. Like, these people are in this huge car chase. Cars are being flipped. There's explosions in the sky. And these kids are still like, hey, let's go get that ball, guys. (laughs) Nothing's going on behind us. She had to narrowly rescue their asses because they're not paying attention to shit. (laughs) Look, I don't want to hate on my own people. But that little black girl in the mall pissed me off. Like, mother, what were you doing when this little girl got in the line of fire? I'd, oh, God, that made me mad. And then you had the nerve to wink at her. I'd have pointed a finger, but like, don't you get your ass up. You stay right where that bear is. Don't get up. She, Diana was a little too nice to her. She was just had big smiles. I was like, do you know what a gun is? Mom, what are you doing? Like, she just got all up in the business. Oh, that made me so angry. That that little girl, when that part happened, I was like, oh, we're in for this kind of movie. We're in (laughs) trouble. Yes, that mall scene. I hate it when kids are in jeopardy in films, and then they laugh it off to make it seem like, oh, I like this. Same thing. This is such a weird thing, but I bring this up every time this movie is on. In the Jim Carrey 2000 Grinch movie, there's a scene where, like, he dumps her down the thing to like back into Whoville or whatever. And she's screaming and then it turns into laughter. And I'm like, they just did that. So the kids wouldn't be worried. She should be so scared. And I know. I, and I was like, oh, they just grinched this little girl into a freaking teddy bear. 
Yeah, the mall had, you know, big bright colors and it was definitely like a fun scene to just remind us how powerful, you know, Wonder Woman is. And, you know, they ought to call this, you know, the lasso of truth 84 because this lasso was used more than Wonder Woman was. I got a lot of truth in this. Um, the other thing that I was so excited for, I love the way they did it. I thought it was such like a cute wink to the past. She made the jet invisible. I know. I love that. I, I enjoyed that. But they don't ever, they were just like, yeah, I was taught this on a Tuesday. Let me just make the yeah. plane invisible. <laughs> Overall, you know, this movie definitely had a lot of flaws. It, we we put Wonder Woman, the first film, on on a bigger pedestal. It was one of the highlights of the whole DCEU sort of thing. It was great to have Wonder Woman be successful amongst the bunch. And so we definitely had a, some expectations with this. And unfortunately, it failed. And I don't think that Patty Jenkins should be completely punished and removed from the Star Wars movie she's got going on or even removed from this third film that's going to be planned. I'm happy that she is is doing it because regardless if a movie is bad or not, I feel her passion for this character and I think she gives a shit. I really do. And I, I don't wish her any you know loss in her career just because of this one thing. And let's not pretend that some of the other DC films do not have their flaws. And those directors are still out there making the biggest films out there. So, you know. Well, look, Patty Jenkins is a terrific filmmaker and she swung for the fences. And it was just one of the times where you kind of missed. I mean, that happens to a lot of filmmakers. And I'm still looking forward and hoping that she does Wonder Woman 3. I'm still looking forward to her Star Wars film. So I I am a Patty, Patty Jenkins fan and I am rooting for her. And I think she's smart enough to take the criticisms and be like, okay, let's what what went wrong? You know, what can we exactly. do? Maybe somebody got in her ear and was like, why don't you try something really different, or just try something really bold and outside of your wheelhouse? I mean, she's been vocal in the past about in the first one all the stuff that like WB didn't want that no man's land scene, and that's the scene from the film. So, mm-hmm. you know, she's she's smart enough to bounce back from all this. I'm Patty Jenkins will not be working at the gas station or anything. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I will also say this, the um, after credit scene with Linda Carter, I should have known better that that was Asteria. I should have known that Asteria would be her eventually. Like, I was still completely shocked. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but the mom goes up to her to be like, I want to thank you. And then she turns around for the reveal. Did anyone catch that her turn was a lot like her Wonder Woman spin? She didn't just casually turn around. Like, she did a 180, I'm going to do a half spin on you. I mean, I I assume that that was the whole point. Why she did it. Yeah. That's the scene, Rob, that I was like, who's she? Like, I knew it was Linda Carter, obviously. But I was like, who's she? And somebody had to explain to me, oh, that's Hysteria. You know, that bitch they've been talking about, you know, those two scenes in this movie. I was like, oh, okay, I'm with you. I am super glad that she is alive, too, because I can't wait for her to find out what Gal did to her armor. I'm like, bitch, I like, how dare you ruin my armor like this? <laughs> you had it for five minutes and you couldn't take care of it. All right. Well, we're going to close this uh, review up. Nick, thank you for coming back to do this with us. I'm so glad you were able to join us on this conversation. Hope to see you right. again soon on here. Buster's Afterlife is coming out this year again. So <laughs> you got to do that. 
<laughs> I got you. I got you. Sean, you are amazing as always. Thank you for bringing your DC knowledge, quote unquote, to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rob. And don't forget, listeners, um, this week on Once Upon a Cult, we've got Ryan Hunter with us talking about Jediism, a group that follows the rules of the Jedi. And next week on Marvelous Galaxy of Disney, we have KGZ talking Disney sequels. Which ones are worth watching? All right. Well, I'm going to leave you with this. Life is good, but it could be better. <laughs> Stop it, Rob. Stop. <laughs> also, there are no such thing as guilty pleasures. You fuck those haters and you be proud of your taste in film. This is Movie Geek and Proud. <laughs>